0: AI can never capture the essence of the true actor. The cadence, the pauses, the gestures heard only in the voice. If you're hungry to be creative and you happen to find yourself into acting, you just got to get up. That if they're creative, they can be successful. And it's so much more than that.
1: Welcome to the Common Creator Podcast. I'm Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a mission to lift the veil or open the book on creativity in business and life through the lens of ideas, stories, and visual cognition. So today our guest is Chris Lutkin from Montana. And if I was to describe what Chris has done in his creative life well then we wouldn't have time to get him on um, it was very inspiring um, Chris one of the, some of the things we learned or give me a bit of a snapshot of him
2: I call Chris a kind of professional full-time creative he knows what it's like to be a creative and earn money as a creative throughout his career uh, for me the big takeouts were you've got to learn to just dive in you've got to take risks uh, creativity is a craft as well there are some basic disciplines that you need to know and I was also very struck by the way that actually he, he, to get inspiration, he'd look back at his own life. He called himself rather humbly a, a quiet grinder of a creative. In other words, not hit the, hit the camera big time, but he every stage of his life, he's been a creative, a quiet, successful creative.
1: Chris sent us a very detailed, very long thing where he had looked at stories and quotes and ideas and images, and we only touched on, on uh, a few of them. But one of the things is, the last 10 years, he's been an audiobook author, or sorry, audiobook narrator. And uh, he's got a, a great voice for radio. Um, and it was really absolutely fascinating, and how that linked into to the pandemic, and how it linked into his own career as an actor. And, but absolutely fantastic.
2: So stay with this podcast right through to the end. There's an amazing quote that Chris shares with us, all about volcanoes and artists. See what you think.
1: Yes,
0: the lava is flowing, so let's get him on. Chris Lutkin, welcome to The Common Creative. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. I'm very excited to talk with you two about creativity, and I'm quite honored that you would choose me out of all the millions of the creatives out there to talk about uh, my journey. Thank you so much.
2: Chris, we're very excited to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us from the States. You've got We've got people in three different locations. You're East Coast, if I, if I understand it right.
0: Well, actually, um, my whole Evois uh, is American nomad. I call myself an American nomad because I've lived all across the United States. States. And tomorrow, my wife and I are moving from Metro Detroit to Boston. So at the moment, I'm in, I'm in yes, I'm sorry, in the moment, I'm in Metro Detroit. Uh,
2: so t- tell us more, because I know you, you sent us a d- detailed note in advance, which we we're very grateful for. But you describe yourself as a nomad. Is, is, is n- a nomadic lifestyle part and parcel of being a creative?
0: Well, I, I think in, it's, it's, um, it's kind of like a, a glorious accident, if you will. Um, I was moved around a lot uh, in my young age uh, due to um, economics, uh, family splitting, uh, and I moved everywhere. My early life was exposed to the museums and theater life of New York City, which is where I was born, in New Jersey. Um, my father was an immigrant, a son of an immigrant. He was a World War II hero. He came back and became an architect. And uh, both of these parents loved going into doing uh, community theater. They were all into the arts. They moved me around, and uh, they took me to everywhere. My mother, as an architect, uh, was building buildings in Rochester. He moved us to Montana to work uh, Big Sky. So it's this crazy uh, stories in life that I kind of uh, grew up with. And uh, when my parents got divorced... Then I really went on what I call my American nomad, nomad experience, so I went from Rochester to the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, Bozeman, Montana, to Fort Collins, Colorado, graduated from high school in Rocky Mountain, and then I thought I was going to try to get to New York City and become an actor. And uh, my first experience was uh, moving into New York City in 19- summer of Sam, 1977. And uh, it was an incredible experience because my first visual of New York City was driving uh, towards the Holland Tunnel and seeing the World Trade Centers uh, spread out in front of me. They were giant. And between those two towers was this this waning moon that was like glistening and, and, and like welcoming me into New York City. And there was no turning back. I was only 20 years old. And... I, at that moment, you know, I glanced at the towers, I saw that sun, that moon snuggle between them, the biggest and brightest, fullest moon I'd ever seen, and it felt like it was the right thing. And then soon after that, I went to become a member of Ensemble Studio Theater at Ensemble at EST, one of America's greatest developmental theaters. And, I mean, the rest just keeps going on and on. At the moment, um, I'm uh, really creating myself, recreating myself as an audiobook. Um uh, narrator, which is, I think, how we kind of came uh, become connected. Yeah. So, so tell, tell us what, what does that involve, Chris? Like, tell, tell us
1: about that. Like, you've. Uh, uh, I think what, what, one of the reasons that we want to get you on because if you're an
0: audiobook narrator, you've obviously got a, a great voice for radio, or let's <laughs> say, great face for radio. Yeah. Um, well, the audiobook industry is really uh, an interesting um, phenomenon. I mean, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry now. When I first got involved in it about uh, 10 years ago, um, I actually was teaching acting at, in New York City. I taught um, for universities. I taught for NYU. This is acting um, craft, if you will, camera craft. And I was teaching a, a class at a, a, a New York City studio, and I was playing softball a lot. And one of my softball pals was a up-and-coming v- v- audiobook narrator who is now the top He's got 5,000 titles. He's won Golden Voice Awards. He's done everything. And he wanted me to help him get into the studio to teach, so I did. And he said, Chris, you should try this audiobook industry. It's really good. It's just opening up. You you know, you know, have a good voice. I think you'd be good at it. I tried it, went to his class. I kind of felt good about it, but I had two things which really um, I think I had to overcome. One was... Uh, the overhead, you had to get a whisper um, booth, there was all sorts of things you had to invest to get into the industry. And then secondly, there was um, a little bit of a, eh, you know, I'm an actor, I don't want to do audiobooks, as though there was something um, commercial about it, if you will. Un- uh, luckily, I went with it and I found it to be one of the most incredible creative <laughs> endeavors I've ever had to really uh, work and, and um um, it's just an amazing experience.
2: Tell us more about the creative process. That on the, your initial reaction was it's, a, it's like selling out. It's not real acting. It's not a real creative talent. And you've learned that it's very great. What is it like? How do, you, how do you approach?
0: Well, narrating a book. The, the, re, the way that you you approach um, a book when it's when it's assigned to you or it's given to you. And let me use the experience of I just had. Tomorrow I have a pub date of a new book that's coming out, and. Um, it's um, called Shadow State by a new author called Frank Sennett. When I auditioned for this book, um, because the industry has changed very quickly, when I first entered the industry, uh, you would be part of a, a stable of narrators, and they would assign you books. And I was uh, kind of assigned the same books with a friendly voice. I kind of have a friendly voice, so I was doing, um, you know, like books on soil. I was doing kind of instructional books.
2: Yeah, yeah the question this. What's it like? How do you approach being an... You're given a new assignment. What's the thought process and how you, how you approach...
0: Well, there's, th- there's, there's three basic things you need to do audiobooks. Not just a good voice, but you have to understand the material and you have to be able to take direction. And so a lot of my acting work uh, and my acting craft and my experience has lent a lot of um, uh, opportunities to evaluate scripts understand material, understand the technique that's needed, and then deliver. So in this particular audition for this book that's breaking tomorrow, I had to use a different voice, and I'm going to do it for you because, in a sense, it's very affected, effected. And it was, if you'll excuse me, I had to have what I call an effort, uh, uh, what I call a fuck it attitude adjustment. It's like, <laughs> just fuck it and do it. And so it goes like this. the The, the character is kind of an intense intense uh, assassin and he's got to kind of talk like this in the voice and you've got to go low and you've got to kind of be gravelly and you've got to kind of commit to that voice and when I did that voice it's certainly not something that's my natural but I went with it because I knew I could could do it and um, uh, that was what the material required and lo and behold um, I was awarded the book by the author he chose me and his, his um, uh, compliment was that I was intense and it seemed like a thriller.
2: The voice to me sounds like a 20-a-day, five-coffees-a-day kind of voice. Right. Is it, would that be the right Yes, absolutely, persona?
0: absolutely. <laughs> and so um, the way that it works now, so you get the book, um, you read the book once, twice maybe. Um, if you're making notes, if there's any words that, don't, that you don't know, there's certain um, uh, places where you can go to find the pronunciations. You do tons of research, hours and hours of research, and then um, you start to record the book. And when you're recording the book, it takes about two hours for one hour of recorded material. And as you're reading, uh, you're going through, uh, say, I, I have a quote here. Uh, you're just reading. If you make a mistake, you've got to go back and fix it. So uh, for every uh, mistake or click or uh, stomach grumble, you've got to go back and fix that. Then once you record the whole book, so that's eight hours of recording or eight hours of finished recording material, you're going to go back and edit it. You're going to go listen to it one more time while you're, re- while, while you're reading the copy. And this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a grind sometimes. But what I really love about it is it's, it's like producing your own radio show. You're playing all the characters. You are making the choices. There's no director. You're all by yourself in your booth. And you're putting down this material. And you just leap of faith, knowing that you're using your talent and your instincts. And you're giving it your all.
2: So, Chris, uh, tell me, what what does the growth of audiobooks d- deliver? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there's two ways of discussing it. One is to say we've become so lazy. We can't even be bothered to read books anymore. We need people like you to read them for us. On the other hand, you could argue, and I'm, I'm guessing this is where you're going to go, is no, 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 the narrator adds a whole new layer of richness that you wouldn't get if you read the book. But, so what, what do you think of this whole phenomenon of audio? Well,
0: um, I do believe that um, to audiobook listeners, there's, there's a really um, rabid and uh, uh, hard fan base for, for audiobook listeners. And um, just as an example, the author Frank Sennett, uh, I had uh, some a collaboration with and I talked to him. And he was one of these guys who said, "Chris, I listened to a thousand audiobooks, but you really nailed this one." Now I'm really happy that he loved it, but I also know that when the reviews come out, there's going to be somebody that's like, "Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's you know. This voice is not the right voice. There's there's it's just it's just so many different." Chris,
1: um, I, I know, and we're probably not going to have a chance to touch on you know. Ten percent of the creative things that you've done in your life thus far. Yes. Um, Are you Are you a writer? Uh, Do you have a And you know, if so, will you narrate your own book? Well, um, I I am
0: working on about three different projects. I have written um, a um, a movie, which was optioned twice. Um, Right now, I'm trying to convert that into a novel, a first person novel, uh, first person. Uh, narrative. And um, I'm kind of stuck on it. I'm also working on my own, my father's and my grandfather's story. Um, Both of them were uh, uh, war heroes, both shot, uh, uh, almost killed one, my grandfather, uh, in the Battle of Somme. He he, he, he survived the Battle of Gallipoli. My father was a 10th Mountain Ski Troop guy. And there's a giant story about uh, another part, I think, that um, is my story, which is the generations of men who come back from war and how they affect you know their children and the generations that that uh, continue um, uh, so that 's a story that i 'm trying to write. I have written a screenplay, and um, I was working on a uh, another movie idea with christina snyder 's husband, Danny Snyder, uh, a horror okay. picture so i 'm always out there um, trying to trying to put forth any kind of uh, cre- you know, creative impulse that I have.
2: I was going to ask you about that, Chris, because I mean this idea of creative output, I think, defines your journey through life and through the U.S. And it seems to me you can turn your hand to many things. You started in, in modeling, you know, audiobook narration, mm-hmm. acting, and so on and mm-hmm. so on. How do you choose? I'm guessing there are sort of new projects coming up in your mind the whole time. How do you decide I'm going to do something with that, and how do you decide that's not what I'm going to pursue right
0: now? Well, I think it's a it's a it's almost like a, a necessity to uh, uh, to figure out what it, how it is I can make some money. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's it <laughs> that that's it. I mean, you know, uh, the 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 journey for me. I, I had uh, a, a career in New York City for 35 years. My wife and I came out to the Detroit area to help family. And when I left New York City, I really didn't think I was going to do any more acting. I kind of, I was in my 50s. I had kind of, I wasn't interested in teaching that much anymore. And the business had just kind of retired me, if you will. I once heard an actor say, uh, you don't retire from the business, the business retires you. And so <laughs> um, I came to the uh, to Michigan. And Michigan has an incredibly talented, creative um, population. There's theaters all over. Um, I became involved with, um, I don't know if you know Jeff Daniels, the American actor Jeff Daniels. He is from Michigan. Yeah. He has a theater um, called the Purple Rose Theater, which is an, a union theater that I became involved in. I did a number of productions for them. That, that was a, Those were uh, equity union jobs. And then through them, I became involved in the audiobook world. And all of a sudden, I was working more in Michigan than I was in New York as an actor. Wow. Making money, doing commercials, doing voiceover work, and doing audiobook work. So now I've kind of established myself. I've got, uh, I've got a nice little resume, a nice little uh, um, t- uh, a collection of titles, some good reviews. I'm feeling strong about my auditioning now, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, uh, with that strength in auditioning and confidence... I now feel I'm ready to go to Boston, which has a, a market. They have a, an advertising market, and they have an audiobook market, and I'm going to go break in that market. I'm going to do the same thing I did here in Michigan.
2: Chris, I wonder if I could ask you a question that, that relates to a topic that's on everyone's lips right now. Yes. It's interesting you mentioned you're 65, so it may be you're thinking, I don't, this isn't an issue for me, but we're all, everyone in well, the creative world and, and beyond is talking about Artificial intelligence and chat, GPT, and so on. And and obviously, there are computers right now that could read a book. Not very well, Mm -hmm. but they can read it out. And you can Mm -hmm. tell that it's computer reading. But I predict that it won't be long before you won't know whether a book is being read by a computer or by a human. And I'm wondering if there'll be a day when you can program a computer to say, read this book in a gravelly, 20-a-day kind of voice, and it might start to sound like Chris Luck. Right. So uh, have you any thoughts on whether, it, let's say you're still doing, or you're still hoping to do this in 10, 15 years' time, whether you actually won't be able to because a computer would have taken your job?
0: Right. Well, um, this is interesting because it's a big topic, of course, amongst audiobook narrators. I am a Screen Actors Guild uh, union member, and the Screen Actors Guild um, are looking at um, AI and how to, you know, uh, deal with it i mean w- w- so there so a few things for for voice actors one is um the uh the unknown capture of your voice to be used in what you're talking about chris uh you know yeah. right uh the other is um the fact that uh screen actors guild and everyone else knows that you know ai is already here it's it's, it's already here everything you you hear from uh you know from siri to um anything you hear on on tiktok those that's all ai and so uh, uh, one of the problems that we're f- seeing is that this is also like um, normalizing AI for the, for the future listeners, right? So that's all stuff that, that actually is being kind of um, taken care of and we're looking at it. But here I wanted to read a quote from Johnny Heller, who um, was the gentleman who I, I mentioned told me I should be doing this. And it's a little bit long, but it really captures what I think you're talking about. So here it is. AI can never capture the essence of the true actor. The cadence, the pauses, the gestures heard only in the voice, but suggestive of a complete person and personality. And that person in conversation with a completely different person, played by the same actor, each moment realized and real. So this audio creates an entire scene. A visual and demanding moment of true human interaction. A thing of beauty that connects the author with a listener in a way no machine can ever match. That is audiobook narration. That is acting. That cannot be done by A.I. Johnny Heller. Hey, well, I,
2: I'm crossing my <laughs> fingers. I hope you're right. It's just accelerating so fast. <laughs> I
0: do agree. It's going to, it will advance. And, um, and here's another positive part of the AI, which is it will allow books that will never get a chance to be uh, uh, recorded, recorded, and people will be able to listen yeah. to them. But when it gets down yeah. to the, to, when it gets down to the essence of acting, it's the same thing with CGI. And when you're watching a film, it, it's, and this is, again, the essence of teaching acting. When I would teach acting, camera acting, and you're teaching an actor what the difference is between a close-up, an extreme close-up, and a medium shot, and what they have to deliver in the close-up is not something a machine can do. They can't get the watery eyes when they're having an emotion. They they can't make that connection, I think. I mean, it may be at some point. But again... um, that's what we're going for, the, the people who are um, on the other side of the creator, uh, creation. I'm just wondering
2: if, if you could embrace AI. There would be a moment where you, could, you can teach a computer how to be Chris Lutkin in a variety of styles. And so you actually protect your IP,
0: protect the I folks, agree. I, the I like that. I like that idea. I mean, I, I'm much more into the positive <laughs> aspects of, of uh, all yeah. this stuff than the negative it's going to take over the world. Uh, I think it's going to be helpful.
1: Uh, Chris, I want to switch, Switch. Um, I suppose, timeframes a mm-hmm. little bit. And I'm, you know, I, what I'm really interested in about is, you know, you, you are a lot like Chris and I, both a multi-potentialite. Mm-hmm. You know, we have lots and lots of different mm-hmm. interests, Renaissance men. And I think probably to some degree both supported by our wives as yes. well. Um, <laughs> so, who have, who have more regular jobs than we yes. do. But um, I've, Chris and I are both visual artists. I've been a painter and in reading the, the the brilliant brief that you sent us, you mentioned that you met Calder as a child. Yes. And I'm really interested in, in you know, what you remember or what impact that had, because, you know, I, I've only ever... I've seen over the years, you know, pieces of work, but I saw an exhibition a couple of years ago in Melbourne of a retrospective of his work. And it's just, you know, it's the total opposite of AI. You know, it's so yes, visceral. Right. It, it moves... It moves. You know, it, it's, you know, especially now that you know they're 50 or 60 years sure. old, there's texture and age, which is a total opposite to AI. And I'm just wondering what impact that had on yeah, you. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. Um, it was, again, a happenstance. Uh, my mother's second husband was a probate lawyer in New York City, and his um, client was Sandy Calder, Alexander Calder. And uh, Bill Pratt was his name, and Bill and Sandy we used to hung, hang out a lot in New York City. He would visit Sandy's uh, studio, wherever that was. I didn't know and uh, Bill would bring home paintings uh, that Sandy would give him and uh, we would hang them on the walls and I I was maybe 8 or 9 living with my mother and stepfather and I would do like um, I would analyze the paintings you know do narratives make up narratives of these paintings and you know like Bill Pratt would be I don't know if that's what Sandy was thinking about but that sounds good so that was my, uh, my first interaction with whatever Sandy Calder was that whole thing and then one day, uh, Bill and my mother uh, said, we're going into the city. Sandy Calder's having a, a um, retrospect at one of the dealers, and we're going to go up, uh, and we're going to go, you're going to introduce you to him. And I was like, fine, let's go. We went to dinner. We went out there. Um, the thing that they told me was that when you meet Sandy Calder, he's going ha- to have a glass of wine in his hand, and it's going to be about half full and he is going to lean over to you, he's going to lean over to everybody, and not one drop of wine will fall. Not one drop of wine will fall out of that glass, and you'll be watching it all day. This is like something that they told me to watch, and and I really related it to his mobiles, his balance, his whole, his whole energy, right? So um, I was introduced to him. He was wearing a flannel shirt. He looked you know, just like you see him in the end. He was very old at the time. He gave me a nice handshake, and all I could do was look at that wine glass as he was nodding his head (laughs) and looking at me. (laughs) So then fast forward, um, uh, later on, again, um, Bill died. uh, He passed away, and Sandy was alive. And he gave my mother a number of other paintings, including a table mobile, uh, which, you know, was amazing. My mother doesn't have it anymore, she had to sell it. But um, it was just kind of part of the house, part of my growing up, and I do feel it. Oh, and, and then of course I uh, came to New York as an, uh, you know as a 20 year old and went to the the Modern Museum and saw his circus, uh, which he made. And I and I I have and I started doing like out of champagne wire little figures, and I have them around was, like when I was bartending. I would turn these little figures into like what I remember Calder Circus figures like. So it definitely had a, some sort of uh, uh, effect on me. Yes, yeah, so that was Alexander Calder. Um, I also got to meet um, um, uh, Margaret Hamilton, of, of all people. I don't know if you remember her, Wicked Witch of the West. Also, I got to see Milos Forman, got to meet him. Um, I was spent the night in Lauren Bacall's apartment at the Dakota. Uh, so uh, we have tons of stories. <laughs> so, Chris, I was, I because it seems to me you, a meeting
2: people, getting inspiration from people, is a key theme of yes, yes. your story, and, and I think I'm just want to check. I think it answers the question that was on my mind, which is kind of where do you get your inspiration from? I'm sure lots of people listening will be thinking, kind of. You seem to have no end of amazing ideas, but lots of people listening were going, well, I just run out of juice every now and then. I'm staying at a blank wall. So where do you get your inspiration from, and, and is it all about meeting new people?
0: Um, it is about new, meeting new people, but I do think that I have this, um, this, this, this uh, going, and I, was, I guess I call it like tightening the belt and just going to the well and making myself go for it again. Um, kind of reinventing myself or just, you know, uh, digging in because, as, and this relates more to um, the collaboration of my wife and I, uh, you know, that partner collaboration. She also is an incredibly creative person. She is an actor herself and she is an improv person who has taken corporate improv to another level. She worked for Ford for seven years and did corporate improv. She's an amazing collaborator. And as you know, I would be remiss if I wasn't doing everything I could to make money doing what I can. And so I have to use my creative skills um, to, try to, to my, try to make a few extra dollars. And that, that inspires me. So in the context of this conversation, which was really timely and interesting, coincidentally, I was looking at, at um, what am I going to do for my third act? How am I going to make some extra money for us? And I had to look back on my life and go, I, here I am at 65. What have I done? What have I really done? I got my Vitae out. I started to, to uh, you know, work my, um, my LinkedIn. And I really started to map out everything that I had done. And all of a sudden, I look like I've, I have thousands of great projects that I've, I discounted. I didn't think about. It didn't add up. But here at sixty-five, I'm like, you really have done a lot of things. You haven't become successful in the in quote unquote being uh, you know on the main stage or whatever. But you have been a quiet, quiet yeah. grinder. And this is the thing that I really find interesting about our conversation. When I listen to your your other podcasts, when I hear you know your neurosurgeons talk about the creative process, and I'm like the this, the, the grunts are the ones who are actually doing the creative process, the ones that are having the aha moments, but how do they come to it? And what does it mean, and, 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 and how can they, if it's a monetary successful career, I don't mean to keep making that connection because I think it's a fallacy, but a lot of young people going into the business think that's what it's about. And so um, in my experience, I had gone through you know decades and decades of doing this and doing that, finding some success but never really hitting it big or whatever that thing is. And I think a lot of creative people at the end of their lives think, what have I done? What's, what, you know, have I really been a creative person? Have, have I done anything worthwhile, even though I, I didn't get the awards or whatever, whatever that is for you? But I have to say, um, I feel pretty good about what i've done creatively and um yeah so that that makes me want to do it more um
1: chris uh, that's you're 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 singing my song because uh, i in some ways you know feel the same although i had a you know most of my career i was an architect so i think a, you know a good architect with maybe moments of very brief moments of genius right. um but um, there's a, a book, and someone we're, we're trying to get onto the podcast, Arthur C. Brooks, wrote a book, From Strength to Strength, and he talks about the two um, thinking styles. When you're younger, you have this um, um, conceptual thinking where ideas seem to come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and you know, we have experienced that. But when you get older, it's experimental, and we're actually taking the pieces from our life and from our long careers and putting them together in a different way, which is obviously you know, in the process that you're doing. Um, I, I just also wanted to say, as I'm in the process of mapping out the rest of my life. Um, I'm 64 at the end of this week, and I've, I, I'm doing a, a map that's uh, 100 columns by 100 rows, which is uh, 100 100-day 100 projects, which will take me to 92. Wow. Um, so you know, I've only got I've only got 100 projects left in me at 100 days each, and it's not much,
0: you know. Yeah. No. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's 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 that's a beautiful thing. I love that's uh, that's a that's a, a real path. Uh yeah, I like that. Um I'm more loosely I'm playing it more loosely now. Um i am just uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get my wife to Boston and and to be safe and then, you know, um I'm actually waiting to hear back from a book audition that I'm having uh that I have out there. And um I mean, yeah. My plan, though, not daily, but my plan is to just continue trying to get the work in the new market, and this is a whole other um, uh, 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 daunting task, if you will. Because here I am. I I kind of feel like in seven years I got myself set in Michigan, but now I'm moving. Okay. Now it's going to take me. Yeah, it's yeah. going to take me a year to two years to get back into kind of the the industry in the new market. But that's what I'm. That's my experience. That's what I do. It's like it, I would be. It wouldn't be me if I didn't move to any other place. I don't care if it's if it's Chugwater, Wyoming. I want to get that car commercial because that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. So, Chris, Chris, I, I
1: want you to give us a uh, a final summation based on that thought about you know that that because uh, you know our audience is generally a business audience and you know we're wanting to you know lift the veil on this conversation mm-hmm. about creativity in business mm-hmm. and life. And I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there, or one of the many nails on the head anyway, uh, about, you know, you just got to, you know, resilience or something. So, But to, in your words, you know, what would be your advice to someone, let, let's say someone that's, you know, towards the end of their normal career in, in going forth and reinventing themselves or, you know, in resilience? What, what would be your advice? Yeah,
0: I would say um, that you really just have to, um, you have to buckle, you have to just go for it. I mean, this is, again, I will tell you the quote, I have it right here, um, which is the quote that brought me to you, and both you, Chris and Paul, which was Christina Snyder, you got to jump in and take a risk. I mean, that really is it, and, I, and, I, and I'll use this as a, um, as a reference. I have a friend who I did a play with here in, in um, Michigan. This is a gentleman who is a prolific teacher at one of the main um, uh, art institutions in America, it happens to be in Michigan. This guy has probably taught many Broadway actors that you've seen, uh, theater actors. He's a little older than I. Terrific classical actor. He retired from the he retired from his teaching job, and now he kind of he's just sitting there. I don't. I want him to work. I want him to get out there and do something. And he's like me. He's like somebody my age, like us, who uh, I don't want to say they've given up. Maybe the business has beaten them down. Um, Maybe they just don't want to do it anymore. All that stuff makes sense, but I think if you're like, if you're hungry, you're gonna. If you're hungry to be creative and you happen to find yourself into acting, you just got to get up. That's the thing. You got to get up on stage. I and and so uh, I would just say keep going for it. No, that's fantastic, (laughs) and I I probably would add maybe based on on that thing. Is it to watch also watch the Kaminsky Method? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It's, <laughs> it's great stuff. And I look at that and I think I'm like, I could be one of those old acting teachers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and believe me, those stories about the students, they are, they are true uh, and when, <laughs> when you're dealing with students. That's a whole other thing about instructing talent. And this is, again, a part of the creative process that... I think is forgotten when we're talking about highfalutin creativity. We forget that we're sending people, actors, into an industry with this myth that if they're creative, they can be, they can be successful. And it's so much mm. more than that. There, it's a, it's mm. a craft. You have to learn it like you're learning to build a, a table. And if you don't take it that seriously, the chances of you having a sustained career is, 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 is little. And today's world of celebrity, and, and again, I'm going to run this correlation. When I first started acting, there were only three networks. You either went to California or you went to New York. If you went to California, if you wanted to be a film actor, you went to New York if you wanted to be a stage actor. And when I went to New York, I was in one, went to one of the only schools that, that um, taught camera commercial acting, how to actually take copy and say it in a way that the advertiser wants it said. I went and started. I took that class. I started booking every commercial I went out for, but I was. I understood that there was a craft involved, and so when I had to teach acting, I had to go to a whole other level of understanding the craft to teach it to students. Most of them didn't care. They didn't care to understand the technique because they have grown up in the reality TV world, where if they have enough likes. They can be branded as an actor, but um, <laughs> as um, as I, I have a good quote from uh, from uh, from Denzel Washington who says, "Branding for an actor is being good, not getting known or getting likes. It's being good. That's the branding for an actor. And the only way you can get good is to get up on stage and understand what stage acting is and the difference between film acting. So you know, this is all stuff that I think." If your audience is listening, if they're interested in a creative life, they have to study. They have to study. Mm. If they don't study, they're going to have no basis. And it's the, the the business will attack them again if you don't have any if you don't have anything that if you're just going out in raw emotions, you, you you're not gonna last. So studying and, 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 and craft, really the craft aspect of all the, the aha moments. How do you get to the aha moments? There are steps that you can take and understand as an actor, craft-wise, that will get you to that aha moment and make it believable for the audience. And that's all you want.
2: It it sounds like great advice because it it does uh, endorse what is it? Ninety-nine percent perspiration, one percent inspiration. Mm -hmm. It's the definition of geniuses. The stuff you need to know. There are some. Tools you need. You need to understand how it right. how it's structured, how the principles, the many odd moments when as a creative leap, which really helps you. But if you don't have that basic in place, then you know it's all going to be vanilla. It's it's,
0: so it's 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 a, a lesson I learned from a teacher, which is you can't be inspired unless you have boundaries. Like if you just let an actor hmm. go, you're not going to get anything. But if you start to put up boundaries, it's like a river. A river is going to flow, but it has to have some banks. If it overflows the banks, you got nothing. It's not a river. So. Um, and I, I would only, I would say, uh, uh, Paul, you know, as an architect, you had to learn rules, and then once you learn the rules, yeah, you play outside the game. That's the beauty of acting, and this is how I taught acting. Acting is a sport; it's a game. You learn the game, you learn all the rules, then you can play outside the rules. But if you try to play outside the game before you know the rules, you're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris, look, I, I just want to uh, thank you for
1: your time today. It's, it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, and uh, uh, you know, as always, Chris and I learn things, and I just think from the perspective of acting, and and the whole connection for me also between the fact that the colder paintings inspired you to make up stories. Uh, sort of a reversal. Of what we do is we often find an illustration to support a story or an idea as right. a as a metaphor. But I love that, and I love the impact that that had on you. So that's just a you know an amazing an amazing uh, thing. Um, so thank you for your time today. It's been absolutely sensational. Uh, really loved thank it. You so thank you so much. Thank you. I want, nice. I want to
0: leave you with one quote. This is a, I, I left it for you, but I do want to say it because I think it, it really encapsulates the, the creative. And it goes like this. Artists dwell on the same island as everyone else, but live closer to the volcano. They sometimes pay a mortal price for the discoveries they have made for us. That was a quote by a, a yeah. mentor a teacher of mine named... Um, uh, Kirk Dempster, who was an artistic director of New York theater called the Ensemble Studio Theater, and that has carried me. It is, isn't yeah. it?
2: It's a vivid picture, and, and in a way, frightening. Yes. One, living close to the volcano, yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, we're all dancing
0: on that. the edge. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, gentlemen, yeah. so much. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love the conversation, and I love your podcast. And thank you for the honor.
2: So, uh, what a wonderful person a wonderful advert for being a creative and learning the craft of your particular creative profession and also i, mean, I don't know you always just got huge energy from you. it was lovely to chat to such an exciting guy who's on such a journey
1: yeah fantastic chris and chris is a raconteur uh, through and through yeah. and i could listen to his stories for hours and in fact we have arranged that after he moves to boston that we will catch up just for a hangout and listen to some more of his stories because uh, he was a great storyteller and a really interesting, interesting insights into creativity um, as well as his also his visual connection with Calder so um, if you enjoyed today uh, please leave us a review <clears throat> five stars if you can uh, basically f- uh, and uh, give us a rating and uh, tell your friends
2: yeah, we'd love it if you tell your friends. It helps us spread the word about creativity and, of course, brings new listeners into our show. We'd love it if you'd do that. And we'll
0: see you next week on the Common Creative Podcast. Ciao. For now.